0: 1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I love this job. I was going to start off the show by saying, well, I've been off for a couple of days. It's good to be back. now." It's just, no, let's just be honest here. I, I was in Las Vegas for a couple days and I had fun. But I'm, I'm really. I'm sitting out at the pool. It's 80 degrees Saturday afternoon. I know you don't want to hear that. And I'm listening to these weather forecasts. It can't be like that. It can't be. Well, I come back and, yet yes, it, yes, it is. Welcome to spring in Wisconsin. I swear. I think it might snow until June. All right, Eric Bilstein. All right, here, here, here's the. Deal. This tells you all you need to know about America in 2018. Did you watch the James Comey interview last night? I did. Okay, on ABC. Big, mm-hmm. they, yeah. they 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 you, you watched it. A lot of people did. The ratings are in. 9.7 million people watched it. Okay? Which which is a good size number. Sure. The American Music Awards kicked its butt. But but it's still 9.7 million people watched. James Comey go you know, with, with George Stephanopoulos. The week before the 60 minute show with Stormy Daniels, <laughs> would you like to... Do you, do you remember how many people watched the 60 Minutes interview mm-hmm. with the Porn star who says that she had the one night stand with the president. Yeah. Remember that? Yes, yes, yes. Twenty two million. <laughs> this this tells you all you need to know about America. <laughs> the interview with the porn. I, again, I, I just I wrestle with what makes you a porn star. The actor, the the pornographic film actress, so to speak. Okay, she. 20, she draws 22 million people. The former FBI director, uh, 9.7 million. Yep. <laughs> it just—it is—it is, it is just—it is America in 2018. It says all you need to know. It's—it's it's, right. you know. Okay, the former FBI director, you know, and well, he, he might have evidence or maybe not about whether the president committed crimes or ah, we don't—we don't care about that. We're, you, know, you, you bring on the woman that you know had the one-night stand with the president in 2006. You know, two and a half times as many people watch it's just a heck of a world i'm i'm just saying all right which is actually where we start off on today's show uh, just it's kind of a heck of oh by the way art bell who used to he art bell was on this radio station you know we used to run him overnight from time to time back back in the day art bell passes away at the age of 72 he was of course the guy that just broadcast from his trailer in Pahrump, nevada in the middle of the desert you know and it was all these conspiracy theories and ufo's and aliens and and i I, I I won't say that I, I, I listened a lot to Art Bell, other than the fact if you do you know what I do for a living, you have to respect people that had that kind of longevity. And, I mean, he, he was great with Radio Magic, and I understand that the show attracted a lot of kooks and things like that, but all right, but but he was good at, at what he ended up doing. So Art Bell passes away in Pahrump, Nevada. All right, is there any sort of irony to the fact that Art Bell dies on Friday the 13th. I, I'm just, just saying, if there was going to be one day out of the year that Art Bell was going to pass away, it, you knew it had to be you know, on Friday the 13th. All right, let us get started. More people watching Stormy Daniels than uh, James Comey, putting that aside for a minute. I, I did got back yesterday afternoon and um, did make a point of even though I was just exhausted you know staying up and, and watching the the interview with James Comey now let me give you my reaction then we 're going to open up the phone lines i um i don 't think the Comey interview really plowed any new ground i mean i, I didn 't as far as factual undertakings his interactions with the president and all. I didn't hear anything new from what I I heard, you know, when he was testifying in front of Congress. I mean, I I, I don't think it necessarily plowed new ground in in that regard. He just sort of reiterated the stuff he said in his testimony. What I guess was new were the conclusions that he drew and the various opinions that he had. So let me just start off with with my assessment of, of James Comey. First of all, do I believe... His description of the, some of the encounters he had with the president. My answer would be yes. I mean, I, I could I could easily see this. You know, he's at this meeting with other people, and the president asks everybody else to leave the room, and and he says, you know, he says about uh, you know, Michael Flynn. He says, I, you know, I, I hope, you know, I, I he's a good guy. I, I hope, you know, you know, that this doesn't go any further. I, I could see him saying things like like that. So I think. His accountings have the ring of truth to me. I didn't hear anything that rises to the level of obstruction of justice or anything like that. After all, the president can, can pardon Michael Flynn if, if he sees fit. Didn't hear that. I thought James Comey substantially weakened himself when he he started off his interview with George Stephanopoulos talking about how well, when I went to meet the president i was I was struck by how orange his hair was, and I looked at it closely to see if it was all real, and I saw that his tie was too long and all that sort of stuff I, I thought, you know this is this is a guy who clearly has an axe to grind and is coming across as being petty when when he says things like like that, so clearly this is somebody who you know wants to lash out in that regard and and wants to again kind of no offense, no pun intended trump up his his various version of of what ended up happening um so i, I listened, do I believe him on on some of the, the factual encounters what he said to Trump what Trump said to him? yeah, my, my guess is I think that's probably true. Did I hear anything that I thought rose to the level of criminal behavior? My answer was was no i i really i I really didn't hear hear that um What I heard was a guy who doesn't like Trump, didn't like Trump, didn't want to see Trump win and is upset that he got fired by Trump. So, you know, he's kind of lashing out in his way, which isn't to say that, you know, the stuff he was talking about with his contacts with Trump wasn't necessarily valid. So I. To me, the takeaway is the former FBI director giving his opinion and describing the president as being a stain on all around him and morally unfit to be the president of the United States. And that's where I want to start our our conversation, Um, because, again, like I say, I I found – I understand that there's the, you know, Comey's on his little tour uh, to sell books and to assassinate Trump's character. And, you know, Comey has his baggage with inconsistent statements and some, I think, really questionable policy decisions that he made as the director of the bureau, which I think in some respects was designed to try to help Hillary Clinton to get elected. So I'm not a fan of James Comey. I, I do probably tend to believe his descriptions, but... Here's what I want to talk about. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. James Comey says, in his opinion, President Trump is morally unfit to be the president of the United States. How do you react to that aspect of the story? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Mortgage Talk and Text line. Morally unfit to be the president. He says, look, he's not mentally ill. He he tracks, you know, he, he hears things, but he's just He's morally unfit. Let's start with David in Mequon. David, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
1: Hey, Jeff. Hi, uh, you know, in, in the whole interview, I, you know, I guess what you're just saying really quickly, if he thinks he's morally unfit, and how does that play with Bill Clinton or Kennedy, any Kennedy for that matter, mm-hmm. um, in that regard? But what my whole thing, my issue with the interview is how can he even be discussing about this on TV when there's supposedly a case still going on and for him to be contradicting McCabe and everybody else I mean he just looks like an incompetent FBI director complete uh, from top to bottom uh, Mm -hmm. in regards with what his statements what he was saying about with Hillary Clinton that's supposed to be a non-political office he did Mm -hmm. everything but make that non-political.
0: Right. So So you saw that interview and you were not impressed by Comey?
1: Not at all. Not at all. As a matter of fact, it, it actually reinforces how bad he was
0: uh, mm-hmm. as
1: far as making decisions and everything else.
0: Yeah. And I think see what, what I think, what, you know, and I, I said this back at the time, one of the things that really struck me, and again, I, 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 I spent more than a dozen years working in the U.S. Department of Justice. One of the things that really struck me was when, when Comey, during the election process, decided, first of all, to have this news conference clearing Hillary Clinton. That's not what FBI directors do. The FBI conducts an investigation. It determines, you know, it finds the facts, and then it forwards the matter to the appropriate official in the Department of Justice, the appropriate U.S. attorney or assistant U.S. attorney or, you know, whatever, and they're the ones that make the decision. Once Comey decided to go public and, you know, erp up why he thought that there wasn't a basis to charge Hillary Clinton, that's what created a lot of problems because then a couple weeks later you get all this other evidence and now since he's already gone public saying, well, I don't think she did anything, now he's got to go public um, again clearer. I think Comey made a whole series of, of mistakes in this regard but at at the same time I I do I think I do tend to believe his encounters with Trump I don't think they they ended up liking each other and I I think that there was I mean for Comey to liken the president to you know a a mafia don I thought really and and again this comes from the perspective of somebody who doesn't spend that much time necessarily defending President Trump but this idea that well he, he wanted me to be loyal well I I Maybe he did it in a heavy handed way. But I I mean, I I can understand that if you're the president of the United States, you know, you want the people that are going to be working for you to have a degree of loyalty to you, as opposed to people who are necessarily, you know, going to be looking to kind of stab you in the back every chance you get. Let's talk to let's see. 414-799-1620. Brian in Oshkosh. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Brian. I'm good. Do you think, I mean, Comey says he thinks Trump is morally unfit to be president. How did you react to that?
2: My reaction was it depends on what side of the fence you're really on. And I mean, you know, going in, I'm not, you know, condoning Trump and his moral compass, if you will. All I'm saying is he has been treating everything like a business transaction and things like that since he's been in office because that is really all he knows. Mm-hmm. So just going on that note, uh the way Trump comes off harsh, aggressive, abrasive, if you will, and everything like that with certain people, that's just his demeanor. And that's yeah. just the way he is. Comey, I seen the interview last night, he's an intelligent intelligent person. His composure was keen, right on he had nothing to hide. I could tell just by his body language, everything was peachy keen, and I believe everything that he is saying.
0: Did you hear anything in what he was saying that would lead you to believe that Trump has obstructed justice or anything like that?
2: I guess uh, going back on what I said about him treating like uh, everything like a business transaction and so on and so forth, I would have to, uh, I guess I would be leaning more to his favor, yes.
0: Yeah. Okay, good enough. Thanks to call. 414-799-1620. We're going to pick it up right there. Um, again, I, I didn't see this interview as breaking new ground necessarily. They clearly don't like each other. I mean, James Comey has a, a long career, you know, in the Department of Justice, first as a prosecutor, then as, you know, an FBI, the head of the FBI. He's out there clearly trying to sell a book. He doesn't like Trump. I understand where he comes from and some of the stuff he says. I didn't necessarily think this was particularly groundbreaking, and, and I don't know that I heard anything in that interview that leads me to believe that Trump is morally unfit to be the president of the United States. Um, Clearly, President Trump has, I I think, he's unlike any other president. There's no question about that. But, I mean, who decides moral fitness to be the president? We discuss, uh, we continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1250... 12.23, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I will tell you somebody who was cringing during that interview last night, and that would be Special Counsel Robert Mueller. Let me explain why. To the extent that, to the extent that they are trying to find an obstruction of justice case against the president, and I, I, I still, I have not seen that. And to the extent, the key would be, gee, we want to the fact that he fired he being the president fired James Comey. That's going to be evidence of obstruction of justice. And I will tell you, you will never ever. You will never, ever make a prosecutable case, or at least a convictable case, based on that theory, based on the information that's out there now. But to the extent that's the theory that you're operating on, uh, Robert Mueller had to be cringing, because here you have James Comey, who's out there grinding his axe to sell his book. And he's making all these different statements, which some of which might be inconsistent with things he said before. He, he has certainly harmed himself greatly, I think, as a witness you know if he were to ultimately be witness in uh, in any sort of prosecution, you know if this guy's the key witness, the last thing you want as a prosecutor is somebody writing their book and then making all these statements which may or may not be you know subject to being able to you know impeach you if you have to testify on the witness stand. I have no doubt that that Robert Mueller, to the extent they were going to rely on James Comey as a witness, is probably going, "Oh my God, why did he have to do this now?" And the answer is he wants to he wants to sell books. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tony.
2: Jeff, I watched the whole thing, and here's a guy disgruntled, had a great job, got fired, and now here comes the book. And I watched that whole thing, and I, I it didn't do nothing for me. But the guy I really watched was Stephanopoulos, because he seemed to be really fishing for some really juicy answers. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, of course, you're right. George Stephanopoulos, who is... All right. It is kind of interesting when you talk about conflicts of interest. You know, he's one of you know the Hillary Clinton confidants. He worked in the Clinton White House for years. It is interesting. And look, let's let's be honest. Why of all the different places would James Comey decide to give his quote unquote exclusive interview? Well, you you go to ABC, you go to George Stephanopoulos because you know you're going to find a sympathetic ear because. You know who hates who hates Donald Trump more than George Stephanopoulos, who was in love with Hillary Clinton, figuratively Jeff, speaking. Yeah,
2: Jeff, yeah. I uh, I remember the night of the election and watching Stephanopoulos, and I had to laugh because I thought he was going to cry, and yeah. he was searching for states that. Florida,
0: for some counties, that would be more right. more for Hillary. <laughs> right. Well, no, I mean, and it, and it, it, look, this just is what it is. I mean, it, you know, ABC has made the choice to, to put George Stephanopoulos on Good Morning America. He's, he's their political observer. I think they thought that Hillary Clinton was going to win, and having George Stephanopoulos there under the big contract, he still makes more than I think most of the anchors that are left makes, but they thought, okay, this is going to be cool because we're now going to have access because, you know, he's part of the Clinton inner circle. So it's no surprise that Comey goes there. And again, I, I there, there's parts of Comey's description. I I believe him. You know when he talks about his, his interactions with Trump, and I get the idea why the two of them didn't like each other. And I also think. You know, President Trump perhaps misapprehends what the role is between the president and the Department of Justice. But at the same time, you need to have a working relationship. Comey's trying to paint this all in the worst light possible. You know, the interesting thing is the guy that recommended firing him was this Rosenstein character, the number three guy in the Department of Justice, who's the same guy that's been, you know, Trump's. Been a- after him because he's the one that you know ultimately approved the appointment of um, Robert Mueller as special counsel it's the same guy who said we got to get rid of Comey because he's leaking evidence I mean that's I'd be curious as to you know that whole story you know the, the decision to leak evidence the FBI director you know telling stories to the media because he wants it to get out that does not speak very well either Don in Cudahy Don you're on WTMJ hello
3: yeah, yes, sir. Hello. Um, I believe this exonerates the president. The the Fusion GPS document was withheld. the, the Clinton campaign paid five point six million dollars to produce was withheld from the FISA judge. The source document. The FBI director that withholds the source of that document to the president. What could what could motivate the FBI director to withhold that information from the president of the United States?
4: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Uh, but right there it tells me that it exonerates the president. And uh, why would the FBI director himself withhold that information? Why would the Democrat lawyers withhold the information to the FISA judge
0: yeah.
3: of yep. the source document that was paid for $5.6 million?
0: Right. No, I I, I,
3: Comey, Comey no. has got some motivations, and I think that it's not good for him.
0: No, Don, I I I mean, there's all these questions. And, I mean, I think he has definitely damaged himself if he were to be a witness moving forward. Is he going to sell a lot of books? Absolutely, he's going to sell a lot of books. But um, beyond that, I would not be surprised if he becomes – Sort of a sideshow to the sideshow. And, and he has the right to have his various opinions. But, I mean, gee, do you think that the president could have been compromised? Well, okay, you've either got proof of it or you don't. And he says, well, I guess it's possible. Do you have any proof? No. Huh. Give me a break. 1229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. <laughs> Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just one final note before we move on from the James Comey story. Keep in mind that what you saw on TV last night was one hour taken from five or six hours of interviews. If, and I say if, Comey were to ever be a witness... That all, that all the stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor ends up as, as what we would call discoverable. People get to look at it. My guess is there's a lot of stuff in those interviews which might be inconsistent or not necessarily the most flattering to James Comey. We may never see it unless, uh, again, he ends up being a witness sometime. I, I, still, I still think it's unlikely that that's going to happen. And I'm Jeff Wagner. Starbucks hoisted upon its own petard. Stick around. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Brew Crew are back home as they get set for a seven game homestand. Interestingly, they do well on the road. You know, what are they? Six and three on the road, two and five at home. Maybe they'll start winning some games. Cincinnati is not very good. Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre is back in the booth as the Brewers welcome the Cincinnati Reds to town. First pitch is at 740, and our coverage gets you ready for the game, 6.05 this evening. In addition, speaking of getting ready for the game, we continue our Welcome Back Baseball promotion sometime during the 2 o'clock hour of today's program. I'm going to give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to go see the Brewers play the Pittsburgh Pirates on May 6th. You also get a, a $50 gift certificate from our sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. That's coming up in the 2 o'clock hour. We will be giving away four-pack of tickets all this week. Okay, um, Thursday. And, and again, I, one of the reasons I find this story to be, well, so interesting is that it happened to lefty icon Starbucks. Okay, now th- this is – I. I I I'm kind of I'm sort of agnostic on Starbucks will, will I go in there from time to time yes but I, I think the coffee is overpriced and all that type of stuff but that, that that's okay you know Starbucks obviously very very successful What what's always kind of bothered me is Starbucks is one of those companies that sort of positions itself as like the what they describe as a progressive corporate leader that touts diversity and inclusion um, for example, this is the same company that last year vowed to hire 10,000 refugees and then kind of backed off on that. This is the same company that a couple years ago in 2015 announced its Race Together initiative. Remember, this is the one where they wanted to encourage the baristas to write comments on your coffee cups um, and encourage people to discuss racial issues with their baristas. Well, all right. Most of us said, hey, if we're standing in line in coffee, we we don't want to be talking to the guy or the gal that's making the coffee about racial issues. We just want to have them make the darn coffee. And Starbucks quickly got away from that. But this is, okay, they're one of these sort of hip and trendy and, you know, progressive corporations. So, which is what made what happened on Thursday to to be sort of an example of delicious irony, but raising these sort of larger issues. All right, here's the deal. It's a Starbucks, a small Starbucks store in downtown Philadelphia. So, you know, you're talking about an urban area. Apparently, the store has had problems with vagrants. That is, people, again, it's the downtown area, people coming in and just kind of hanging out without making purchases. Well, it's a business. And, and, I mean, it's not a public park. It's a business business. And so what they want is they want people – they want to make sure they have space for people who are going to come in and buy their coffee and want to sit there. And and so apparently at this store and other Starbucks stores, they have this policy that if you're going to hang out there, you're supposed to buy something. And if you want to use the bathroom, you're supposed to buy something because they don't want people – just sitting there all day, all right? It's not public bus station or something like that. So what happens on Thursday is you have these two guys, they are African-American men, who come into the Starbucks. They don't buy anything. You know, they sit down, and apparently they're waiting for another guy that they're going to meet. Um, and they sit down, they don't buy anything, and one of them asks for the code. You apparently need to have a code to use the, the public, to use the, the men's room. So goes up, asks the person for the code. The person says you need to buy something. They refuse to buy anything. They sit there. They're told, I guess, that they have to leave. They don't leave. And so the Starbucks employees call the Philadelphia police, and they say, we've got these people here who are refusing to leave. They're trespassing. Will you come over? All right. So the police, based on this phone call, arrive. They talk to these two guys. And the guys say, no, we haven't bought anything, purchased anything. The police say to them, you're going to have to leave. They say, we're not going anywhere. And so based on the complaint of trespassing and the refusal of these two guys to leave when the cops tell them, all right, you you, got to leave. Again, this isn't where the cops just walked in on this. The police were called to the store. The people at the store said, you know, they're refusing to leave. All right. So the police then say you got to go. The guys refused to do. And, and yes, they were then they were handcuffed and they were arrested for trespassing based on the complaint made by the Starbucks people. So they're they're taken out. The thing is on video. The guy they were supposed to meet, who's a white guy, comes and they're filming this, and he's saying they don't do anything wrong. And the police are saying, look, we, we asked them we you know we got the call. We told them that they had to leave. They refused to leave, and so I'm sorry, it's past this point now. You know now now they're they're under arrest. Ultimately, Starbucks decides they are not going to pursue this, and the Starbucks owner um, comes out, and I'm looking at his his statement. He says, um, well, you know, we're... We want to apologize. We apologize to the two individuals and our customers and are disappointed this led to an arrest. We take these matters seriously and clearly have more work to do when it comes to how we handle incidents in our stores. We are reviewing our policies and will continue to engage with this community and the police department to try to ensure these types of situations never happen in any of our stores, which I found to be interesting. Uh, The chairman went on to say, We regret that our practices and training led to the reprehensible outcome at our Philadelphia store. We are taking immediate action to learn from this and be better. Okay, reprehensible action. If you go into the Starbucks store, they say, Okay, we want you to buy something. These guys did not buy anything, they were just sitting there. The Starbucks employees called the police. The police showed up. They asked the men to leave. The guys refused to leave. They ended up getting arrested. Right right, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I will tell you how I analyze this, and I'm curious is your reaction. First of all, I don't think the cops did anything wrong at all. I, I mean, their headlines are police are on the defensive. The cops showed up in response to a complaint from the business. The business said, We have people that are trespassing. They won't leave. The police came in. They said, Hey, you know, the, the store says you got to leave. Please leave. They refused to leave. What are the police supposed to do? So I don't think the cops did anything wrong at all. Now, as far as Starbucks goes, I think the CEO is throwing these employees under the bus. And I guess I'm curious as to, you know, where do you go from here? Is the policy now of Starbucks going to be that, okay, this is going to be like the public library. Come in. It's 10 degrees. It wasn't 10 degrees on Thursday. But it's in the middle of winter, if you want a place to come in and use as a, as a warming shelter or whatever, come on in to all our Starbucks. Because that's really the choice that the individual stores have. It's either, hey, if you're going to come in here, you got to buy something um, to use the bathroom or it's going to be hey just come on in and we're going to turn again our stores into what is essentially a homeless shelter while they're open is that really what starbucks wants Four one four 1620 let's start with mike in greenfield mike you're first good afternoon hi Jeff. hi mike
3: yeah thanks for taking my call sure i just thought it was kind of similar to the don hamilton case where he was laying in a bench sleeping in the Starbucks employees called
0: the police
4: on them, and then
3: the, right, and then you know what happened? with
0: was shooting and all that. And yeah, well, it kind of all escalated and again. And that now that's the same sort of situation. I kind of feel bad for. I mean, what are the police supposed to do? The police get a call from a business saying there are people trespassing here. The right. police show up. They say, okay, the store says you got to leave. The guys refuse to leave. At that point in time. All right, you know, it, it's whatever happened here, and I, I mean, I saw the video. It didn't look, the, the police weren't, this isn't where nightsticks were out or anything like that. This is where, all right, the police, I think the police were just doing their job in this case. Now, uh-huh. you, you might want to rip the Starbucks employees for Enforcing this policy. No, thanks for the call. But I mean, the, the cops. I I don't. I don't see this as an example of the cops being bad. But I mean, Starbucks. I guess now moving forward, this is the question: If if what these employees did was reprehensible, what is the Starbucks policy now going? going to be is it going to be that you have to purchase something to sit in the store because they were sitting in the store and they were waiting is it going to be that you have to purchase something to sit in the store is it going to be that you have to purchase something um to use the bathroom or you know is it just okay come in hang out in in our stores that's what they have to figure out we continue the conversation next if you're on the line please hold on it's twelve forty-six. this is jeff wagner wtmj Twelve forty nine. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Mike in Kenosha. Hi, Mike.
5: Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Good.
0: What do you think about this story?
5: Well, see, uh, I have a group of friends. I live in Kenosha, and then I have a couple friends that live in Pewaukee, and we meet at a Starbucks in Hales Corners, so around Highway One Hundred, right? And there's weekends. It's every Saturday. There's weekends. We don't buy anything. I mean, we just come in and we sit down and we talk for a few hours, and no one says. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's just what we do. There's other weeks we do buy coffee. So I don't see really what the problem is. And I'm white. We're Mm -hmm. white. I mean, is it because I'm white that I can allow to do that? I think
1: that's wrong.
0: Well, here's all I would say. See, Starbucks can have whatever policy that they want. My guess is maybe at at the store where you you guys go – it's not an, an issue. They don't have enough people that, you know, that are going to be using the tables or whatever. But I guess the flip side would be um, if, if your business model is to sell coffee, I can understand why at a small store, especially in an urban area where there's lots of people, you, 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 you want to make people buy stuff because otherwise if, you know, if all you've got is like three dozen, um, and people these guys went
5: in there to sit there, right? Right. Yeah. And see, going to have a store for very long.
0: R- right. I, mean. I guess that that's my only point. Now, these guys weren't homeless guys, okay? They they, they weren't, and and maybe the employees should have used better judgment when they said, "Hey, we're just waiting to meet somebody here." But at the same time, I can understand why people in why a business owner in an urban area, for example, where my guess is there's lots of homeless people, lots of people walking the streets, white, black, brown, whatever. Would say, okay, no, we, we, you know, we we don't want, you know, we need to have space for our paying customers who are going to come in and going to sit down and have coffee. And the business won't be open for very long if you walk in and all you have is people with their shopping carts and stuff filled up that are sitting there warming up, not buying things. Now, I mean, if if, Starbucks can decide to do whatever they want, um, and, and maybe maybe the manager needs to you know, talk to the owner and figure out what their policy is. My only advice is I, I think Starbucks needs to be careful moving forward because if they're now going to set a policy saying, okay, anybody can come and sit here for as long as they want without buying stuff, Well, that's going to create an issue. Now, again, these guys were not homeless guys. I think personally the manager probably overreacted to this because they say, hey, we're just waiting here to to meet somebody. So I I think there was a degree of overreaction on that. But, you know, Starbucks, the owner, the CEO saying this is reprehensible, I don't know. I think probably you had a somewhat overzealous employee enforcing what is a, a policy that makes sense to me. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Joe on the northwest side. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, yeah, Joe. About
3: a, year, about a year ago, my buddy took me on a job. He goes around to Starbucks for a company and fixes all their small sink problems, door problems, you know, right. ceiling tiles. So he brought me along because he had a big ceiling tile. and a leak in the roof. And I saw this coming a year ago. We're sort of close to Madison. And we're doing a three-, four-hour job. And when we're done with this three-, four-hour job, I'm still noticing three-fourths of the kids are still the same kids sipping on (laughs) the same coffee. The minute we walked into the restaurant, right? how are they making any money with these kids just sucking up the Wi-Fi, sitting on their furniture, doing their homework, or...
0: Surfing the that Right. No, and, and, and so that's why, you know, you know we've, we've talked, JoJo. there's McDonald's around that, that has the same sort of issue. And so they have policies saying, hey, we, we have limits as to how long you can stay. And, and it's always this kind of dicey thing because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to irritate customers. But at the same time, you have to have space. You, you, you want to have space for the, the paying customers. And I was at,
3: I was at a rather pricey restaurant just Saturday down on the east side. We had two hours. And we yeah. spend over three hundred fifty dollars when that two hours is up. They're like, "Yeah, your time
0: is up." <laughs> well, you and, and it's, it's always I'm, right. Uh, right, thanks. It, it's always that that thing. And now, like I say, I, I it, to me, the irony of this again is this is the the ultimate liberal progressive Starbucks. You know, the people, hey, we want to encourage our baristas to I- engage in comments about race relations and things like that. Give me a break. Just, hey, you know, make my latte, for goodness sakes. I, I drink my coffee black. But just, just give me my coffee. I don't want to talk to you, pal. At least not here. You know, and, and if I'm waiting in line, it's like, stop talking. Just make the coffee and move this on. So I, I do think that this is is the irony of it. I also think, first of all, to me, like I said earlier, I don't think the cops did anything wrong here. What are the cops supposed to do? They get called, the, man, the people start Starbucks? Says these people are trespassing, they refuse to leave. The cops ask the people to leave, they refuse to leave. Okay, at that point in time, you know, you now have to do something what Starbucks policy is moving forward. I will be curious as to how they're going to let this play out because, again, be careful what you wish for. If you're going to take a policy saying, you know, come in, anybody can sit here for as long as they want without buying stuff, well, all right, I don't think any of those places are going to stay in business for too very long. 1255, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. W277-CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From
2: the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ. 12.58,
0: 1258, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, with a new interim superintendent in place at Milwaukee Public Schools. What will the renewed focus be for the state's largest school district? John and Melissa will explore. Tune in 330 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. When we come back, big story number three. Yes, it is the weather. And after that, well, we're going to be talking about Syria. We're going to be talking about the end of the We Energy's energy shutoff moratorium. And, boy, it pains me to say this, but the Philadelphia Eagles may be setting a standard that teams like the Packers should follow. I'll tell you that story in just a couple minutes as well um, when we come back. But first, um, we're approaching the top of the hour news with Eric Bilstead. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 108. This is Jeff Wagner. So, Eric, you know where my regular producer, Gru, is today? Is he in a hot place? Uh, well, Memphis, no, 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 no not, not like that at all. He, he is a graduate of University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point, Excellent. and once a year, he we work at the college radio station. Apparently, they, they do this big trivia contest. Oh, yes. Where right, yep. it goes, like, from Friday night... All the way through Sunday at midnight, and and groups of people just congregate, and you get Mm -hmm. groups and these teams that compete in this like 24, this 48, 54 hours trivia thing. So this year, he and a bunch of his college buddies rented a house, and they were, he took the weekend to participate in this trivia thing. Um, and so it ended like at midnight last night. So he—I don't know how he did, but he's—he's he's recovering. So
1: and his car is probably
0: under a. And his a car snow. is probably under like, but I, but I get the idea that you know it doesn't matter that it snowed like that because I get the idea you just hunker down. Yep, you get a yep. group of people and you hold up in a hotel room or a house or whatever, yeah. and, and you just participate in this. So you know he's not here today, but um, you know we we have. It's our like our permanent fill-in for him, and you know, over the years I've had great producers. I've had Hondo and a Crowbar and Spike and Gator and Elvis and Young Dan and Gru. And we're joined today by Roadkill, our new producer, Roadkill, who's you know he's, who's gonna who's who's gonna be here. And somebody said, "Well, why Roadkill?" I said, "Well, why not?" So that's it. He'll when you know when people call up, you'll be talking to my friend Roadkill here. All right, we're still in the middle of our three big things. Um, true true story. Okay, I was in. Las Vegas Thursday, Friday, Saturday came back yesterday. Actually, it was lucky to get back um uh, because it, the weather in Las Vegas was just perfect, but um, the the weather throughout this country has just been so very very miserable that it wasn't a problem flights getting out of Las Vegas. It was a problem of flights you know getting into Las Vegas from somewhere else. I was on like the first flight out, and my understanding is some of the later flights just didn't make it because the planes never were able to get in because they couldn't get out of where they were, were stuck in. But you know we got back you know uneventfully. But it, it was one of those deals where all weekend and you know, <laughs> Saturday afternoon I'm sitting out at the pool with my wife. And a couple friends of ours who went with us and, you know, it's like 80 degrees outside and you're hearing these reports about, well, there's, you know, two feet of snow here. Look at this. And I'm thinking this is it's it's April. It is Wisconsin. Now, I understand that, you know, we've had some kind of nasty April's. But my goodness, you know, the second largest snowstorm in Green Bay history, not the second largest snowstorm, April snowstorm in Green Bay history, the second largest snowstorm. And you're just looking at all this type of stuff that, that happened. And I, I will admit, we got back yesterday afternoon. The flight got in about, you know, 1, one thirty, And then, I mean, I had to drive around through this because I had to go to the airport and I had to go up. And um, the lady who keeps takes care of our, our dog was up in West Bend. So I had to drive up there. And then so I was driving around the area. And, I mean, I'm seeing cars in the ditches. And it was just a mess. And my guess is... Um, earlier, like I say, this is one o'clock in the afternoon. My guess is it was a lot more of a mess Saturday night and or Sunday morning. So in any event, I, 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 I come back and I'm checking my emails and I've been gone for a couple of days and I literally have half a dozen people talking about the weather and saying, OK, here it is, Mr. Climate Change Denier. Look, you're talking about a foot of snow. You're talking about this monster snowfall. You are talking about this spring that did not happen, 31 degrees on April 16th. And it appears that there's really no end in sight. Maybe, maybe by the 50s next week, which would be you know two-thirds of the way through April. Will you finally concede that climate change is real and climate change is going on? Four one four seven nine is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, feel free to disagree with me. But this is another one of those examples of, you know, if we don't get rain, people say it's climate change. It's global warming. If we get a lot of rain, it's climate change it's global warming if we have a mild winter well it's climate change it's global warming if we have a crappy winter it's climate change it's global warming if you don't get any snow you get know what the argument is if you get a lot of snow it is so here, here's how I come down on this I are there more people in the world than ever before yes does that put a demand on uh, I, again the earth yes it does Are some nations becoming industrialized, like China and India and those types of things? Yes, they are. Does that probably put a strain on the climate? You know, yes, it does. But at the same time, you know, when people say, okay, how how do you explain explain this type of snowstorm in April? Well, I, I listen to our weather guys and say, all right, there's this trough of, you know, really cold air that's, you know, hunkering in over, you know, North America. And that's what's causing this. I guess I look at this as, you know, just a a weather phenomena that occurs from time to time. The same way you can go for a few years without having any hurricanes during hurricane season. And then last year, all of a sudden, it tends to even out. All right. Is what is going on now, while annoying, is it anything more than just an ordinary weather phenomena which doesn't mean that we should, <laughs> we, we can't complain about it because, my God, you know, it, it's April 15th, and you've got all the snow on the ground, and we haven't had a spring. So I understand it's been really, really crummy, but at the same time, does this mean that it's all because of global warming? I don't accept that. I think, again, this is just a recurring sort of weather pattern, just like some two years we have mild winters, and some years we have harsh winters. But I know a number of people say this is the definitive evidence of climate change. Do you buy that? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. I just tend to look at this as, okay, a freakish few weeks um, because weather occasionally can be freakish. We discuss next. It's 114, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we are experiencing, it, it has been an awful spring. And over the last couple of days, we, we've had this freakish enormous weather system which has dumped record amounts of snow. I understand that you get a little bit of snow in April. You, you, You typically don't get two feet of snow. Second largest snowstorm in Green Bay history. Interestingly, and one of our texters makes this point, the largest snowstorm in Green Bay history occurred in 1888 so, I mean, that was theoretically before global warming. I have a number of people saying, okay, this is definitive evidence of global warming. Look, I, I'm not a climate change denier. I mean, there's more people than ever before on the planet – that stretches natural resources. You know, you've got the CO, the CO two gases. I, I accept that there's something going on, but at the same time, these weather patterns. To me, the fact that one year you've got a couple hurricanes, the next year you don't that that's not global warming. That's just normal weather. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dan in Fredonia. Dan, good afternoon.
3: Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Dan. For taking my call. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, any, anytime we. Break you know a weather record whether it's you know temperature highs or lows or 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 precipitation we usually break them by you know half a degree or a degree or an inch or two of precip and that kind of tells me that we've had you know this weather before it's not you know we might maybe break a record like in this case it was the second biggest snowstorm in Green Bay history but I mean we've had that weather before it's it's nothing new to the state and
0: yeah it it it, it doesn't happen very let me give you another example um. 1973 around here in milwaukee april 8th and 9th of 1973 we, we got 20 inches of snow that's that's 1973 okay so that's you know 45 years ago it, it is it is a freakishly freakishly large thing but it happened in 1973 before we had greenhouse gases and those type of emissions it was just a freak thing that happened
2: sure and i hope it 45 years before we get another one. Well,
0: amen to that. Now, don't get me right. <laughs> no, th- thanks, Nicole. A- amen to that. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. And I, I do also acknowledge that, you know, you- you've had... An intensity of, of storms. I mean, people. I, I, and it, this is what I wrestle with: Are, Do we really have more of it? Like, for example, last year the hurricane season was particularly bad, and so people were saying, "Okay, well, look at the intensity of these hurricanes. You know, this is bad." And you had one after another. But what do we do? Did we go? Didn't we go for a decade? You know, without any hurricanes? I see. I think when it comes to, I think when it comes to nature, um, it, it just things even out. I mean, that's one of the reasons, you know, when I I look, for example, at the snowfall totals, I I happen to believe that generally speaking, and and again, you can find, uh, mine's only anecdotal, you know, but I happen to say, okay, if the average snowfall around here is 40 inches, whatever it would be, and you've gone through, okay, the first couple months and it's been really, really snowy and you've had 25 or so. I find more often than not, again anecdotally, that what ends up happening is then okay, you don't get a lot of snow for the rest of the year. Or on the other hand, if November and December and January have you know no snow, yeah, you can almost guarantee that February and March you're going to get whumped with a couple of storms. I, I just think that sometimes we we try to find these convenient explanations for stuff which is really just the normal type of cycles of weather. That you see. Let's talk to Barry in Brookfield. Barry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hey, good afternoon. And I'm like everybody else out in the listening area. That I really am not thrilled with this weather, <laughs> but um, I would agree with you. I I don't think that this is you know there's something going on that's a little bit different. But I mean, we have to remember that 10,000 years ago, this area was covered by snow and ice. It was a mile thick. And 15,000 years ago, it was a temperate rainforest. And 20,000 years ago, so. I mean, there's a little bit of variation, but it, we haven't tracked weather long enough, or have enough extensive data to really be able to say that okay, one winter that's got more snow in April really means anything that's that's uh, going to be a disaster. Right. So
4: it's,
2: weather changes, and it's you know it is what it is. But uh, again. Not fun in April.
0: Beautiful
2: in December, not so good-looking
0: in April. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not, I mean, thanks. Sir. I'm not even sure this would have been beautiful in, in December. Look, and, and I, I also, I, I'm not a denier, and again, I, that's why I want to keep saying this. I, I understand. If To me, it just makes sense. If you have more people in the world than ever, and you have more countries that are becoming industrialized, so putting out more pollutants or whatever, yeah, I, I understand how that can have some sort of impact. To me, the question is, how how much and and what is the real impact and and how does the earth react to that and uh, all right and and does that mean that all right, maybe you're going to have, you know, wetter springs or maybe you're going to have more rainstorms or something. I'm willing to accept that and acknowledge that that could in fact be the case. But this idea to attempt to explain, you know, every everything that happens. Oh, you know, here we've just had this monster April snowstorm to try to explain that, okay, this means it's climate change. I think that overdoes it. When we come back, is it possible the Philadelphia Eagles football team could be setting an example that other teams, including the Packers, should follow. I'll tell you the story in just a minute. It's 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 125, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The NBA playoffs are here. Round one, pits the Bucks against the Celtics. Celtics. The Celtics. The action comes to Milwaukee on Friday night. Gene Miller previews some of the celebrations that are happening around town. Tune in 721 a.m. tomorrow on On Wisconsin's morning news. Um, Quick reminder, even though the weather outside doesn't suggest it, baseball is back. Brewers have already played, what, like 18 games? Um, No, they're they're 8-8 or 9-9, whatever they are. But, um... Baseball is back, and in, effort, in an effort to welcome back baseball, during the 2 o'clock hour of today's program, I'm going to be giving away a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Pirates at Miller Park on uh, May 6th. In addition, we've got a uh, $50 gift certificate, gift uh, card from our sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. So be tuning in for your chance to win that as we welcome back baseball all week. All right. Remember a couple of years ago, the, the The Green Bay Packers had a a player defensive lineman named Latroy Guyon, and he's the guy that a couple years ago was arrested with a whole bunch of marijuana and a gun and a whole bunch of money you know driving you know through the the town where where he lived in and um Got arrested, and his dad, of course, was, was the one saying, Well, yeah, we, we always look forward to him getting back because he's got the best marijuana around. Thanks, thanks, Dad. You know, okay, but that was LaTroy Guyon. The, the Packers, because they needed a defensive lineman, didn't get rid of him. I mean, they, they ended up keeping him on the team. He sub- subsequently got arrested for uh, uh, drunken driving in Honolulu, and, and finally, once the Packers found a suitable replacement, they, they moved on. But the, the point is. You know, the, the Packers always just say, Well, character matters, but okay, you get caught with a gun and a bunch of dope and a whole bunch of money. Well, if you could play defensive tackle, let's look the other way. All right. Well, here's here's the interesting story. Daryl Worley. Now Roadkiller, are you a football fan? You are Daryl Worley, who twenty three years old twenty three years old, defensive back, played um, high level for the Carolina Panthers. He's originally from the Philadelphia area. He just got traded back to philadelphia so this was kind of viewed as a homecoming of sorts all right well his career in philadelphia has been very short-lived because okay he just got traded back last month what happened let me get the exact description all right this is what happened the other night um worley 23 years old um was found passed out in a car close to the team's practice facility around 6 a.m. Sunday morning. He apparently had an unregistered gun in the car with him. Um, when the police tried to wake him up <laughs> as he's passed out, he apparently started getting got into a fight with the cops, and he ended up getting tased. Uh, again, he had the gun with him. He's now been charged with resisting arrest, uh, possession of, of the unregistered gun, uh, driving under the influence, um, and various related offenses. Okay, so this is 6 in the morning on, on Sunday morning. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles, while the guy was still in custody, cut him. They, they, they didn't say, well, we're going to wait for the legal system to play out. We're gonna, we we want to see what happens. We're accumulating evidence. They cut him. They released him while he was still in custody. Uh, originally they, they said... Now, so now his attorney's coming in saying, well, we're still reviewing the circumstances of my client's arrest, why why he was drunk, passed out with the unregistered gun at 6 o'clock in the morning, and why he resisted arrest to the point of getting tased. And the attorney says, it's unfortunate that the Eagles released him, but we are hopeful that we can resolve this matter so he can resume his career in the NFL. Um, all right. H- here's what I find intriguing about this. the The Philadelphia Eagles did not let him pass go they didn't let him collect his two hundred dollars they didn't play this out they said look all right the guy got arrested he was drunk he was in possession of a firearm he resisted arrest he's now been charged boom We're, we're not we're not putting up with this and we are releasing him all right did did the eagles jump the gun Was this premature? Should they have allowed the legal system to play out like so many other teams do? Or do you applaud the fact that they just kind of said, look, we we don't even want to go down this route. We just traded for this guy, actually, and they gave up a pretty good player for him. We just traded for him. But you know what? You know, guns, resisting arrest, passed out in the car drunken driving we we don't want to wait around to find out whether he cops a plea or whatever just gone was this premature or would you like to see more teams just say enough is enough and we're going to have zero tolerance for this kind of stuff all right we're going to discuss in just a couple minutes Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. that's the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line should more nfl teams just say boom you do this you're gone all right, we will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Coming up next, the Philadelphia Eagles, of all teams, send a message. They're not going to tolerate people behaving like thugs, right? Did they jump the gun? Stick around. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, if you're just tuning in, here's the story. Daryl Worley, who is a, um, a star football player, um, plays defensive back, had a couple of really good years with the Carolina Panthers. He's from the Philadelphia area, just got traded back to the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay, the Philadelphia Eagles are apparently getting ready to start their, you know, their, whatever they call them, their, I don't know if it's the OTAs or, or whatever, they're, they're getting ready to open their, their training facility. He gets arrested, this is Worley, 6 a.m., they find him <clears throat> passed out behind the wheel of a car, kind of in the area of the Philadelphia Eagles training facility. He's He's drunk. He's got an unregistered firearm. Um, when the cops come to investigate this, he apparently resists arrest to the point that he has to be tased. OK, so then he's taken into and in, taken into custody. He's now been charged with a variety of offenses connected with this. The Eagles, um, while he is still in custody, release him. They just say, OK, I, I, they, they cut him. Period. And his lawyer is kind of whining that he was cut, says they think this was kind of um, premature on this. I have a text here. Somebody says, well, what about his due process? Well, due process it doesn't apply as a general rule to an employment situation. You you know, I mean, due process, when we talk about it, means, all right, your your rights, you know, under the law in connection with criminal matters. And he's innocent until proven guilty. But, you know, uh, again, your your disciplinary rules, typically, you know, people can be hired or fired for no reason at all. Now, the NFL might have disciplinary rules and things like that. You've got a degree of, you know, due process, which is in the union contract. But here the Eagles just decided... We don't want to mess with this guy, and even though we just gave up a, a good receiver for him, you know we, you know uh, we don't care what the story is. We, re- I'm sure they review the police reports. He's drunk. He's got the gun. He's passed out. Boom! Just go on your way. This is the type of stuff that could make me become an Eagles fan. And I think the Eagles, by doing this, send a message that fans respond to, which is you know we we expect you know when you say character counts, you know we we expect that you're going to back it up. And I wonder if other teams, like the Packers, for example, and I'm a huge Packers fan, but all right, you know, you get a guy that gets arrested with a gun and a whole bunch of marijuana and a bunch of cash, and you look the other way because you need him to play defensive tackle. You wonder if the Eagles maybe are saying, hey, we need defensive backs, but we're not going to put up with this. Is that a good standard? Steve in Milwaukee. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
4: Yeah, hi. Hi, Hi, Jeff. It's Steve. Yes, sir. I think it's a good idea. I'm glad that the Eagles did that. Uh, I'm a big Eagles fan. I have to apologize for that. First.
0: No, that's okay.
4: <laughs> and um, I, you know, I think it's good because you see all this behavior around the league, and it's really annoying. Um, I know the Eagles have somebody else who might be in trouble too, uh, but I
0: guess yeah.
3: that's a different story.
0: Well, so, I mean, here's I mean, here's the I mean, here's the deal, and apparently. Again, you let the court system run its way, you know, and maybe he can get off with probation or maybe they end up dropping the charges. But it doesn't change the fact that this this happened. And, you know, we we have all these NFL teams or all these sports teams that preach character counts character matters and yet when you have people that behave in these anti-social fashion well all right as long as you can still play let's look the other way here i think the eagles just decided look we're, we're going to make a statement here and even though we just traded for this guy what's he doing drunk behind the wheel of a car with an unregistered gun resisting arrest boom we just okay. don't need to deal with this
3: yeah, you're right yeah. right
0: no thanks for, i mean it's like a few years ago um who is the guy um he uh, Ocho Cinco Chad Johnson was his name remember he he had a great career with the uh Cleveland uh, Bengals then he he ended up either getting traded or signing as a free agent with Miami and um he he's down in Miami it's like the second and he's going to be the star of the Miami team it's like the second week of of training camp and he ends up getting in a domestic dispute situation where he's accused about you know, beating his girlfriend or whatever. And and they just, they, they dumped, they just fired. They just got rid of him. They said, look, we, you know, this is, you know, maybe there's more to this, but the fact that, you know, this, this incident happened, it's a distraction. We just don't want to deal with it. God bless you. You know, go on and deal with your life. I, I think that's the type of thing that I, I'd like to see more professional sports teams do because the truth of the matter is in most professions, Yeah, well, at least most professions where there's a degree of a public profile, yeah, you – Roadkill, let me give you some advice. If you go on to, like, host your own radio talk show or something like this, my advice would be if one night you get yourself drunk, you pass out – On Capitol Drive here in front of WTMJ, um, you've got an illegal handgun in your car. The cops come along. They wake you up. You resist arrest to the point that you have to be tased. My guess is... The first call you're going to get is by whoever the manager, program director, general manager, owner of the radio station is when you're hosting your show, and they're going to say, Roadkill, thank you for your services. We appreciate it, but, you know, next time you come in, just bring your box, and we'll fill it up with future endeavors. That's the reaction that, that you're going to get. So as, as much as it pains me to say this, I applaud the Philadelphia Eagles for doing this, and perhaps perhaps more teams could learn from this. I think the fans are, in fact, going to respond, and I think they're going to respond well. When we come back, the legacy of Barbara Bush, and in a completely unrelated story, um, you know, isn't it amazing that James Comey goes on TV and we forget the fact that we were lobbing missiles into Syria? Stick around. It's 141. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One forty-four, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A couple texters say, "What what is this registration thing?" Again, this gun laws vary from state to state. Um, In Philadelphia, first of all, um, you need a concealed carry permit. This player did not have. If you are going to carry a firearm in your car. Didn't have a concealed carry permit. I believe there's also a separate registration requirement. Um, Again, if you're going to be carrying firearms in public and the gun wasn't registered. That's all I know about that. But he's been charged with it. Anyways, he's apparently drunk. He's passed out behind the wheel of the car. He's got a, a gun that he's not legally allowed to possess in the car with him. He resists arrests, and now he's trying to figure out what he's going to do next. Sorry, it's just tough for me to be too terribly sympathetic to this type of to this type of situation. All right, then we got the other texture. So, Jeff, if Aaron Rodgers was caught with 10 pounds of cocaine in his car, do you want the Packers to fire him? Uh, yes. Yes, Well, oh, first of all, first of all, I, I find it difficult to believe that Aaron Rodgers would be caught with 10 pounds of cocaine in his car. All right. Because I, I think and and again, I, look, I, I had I, I understand that some of these athletes, their public personas are different than, you know, their, their real life. But, um, yeah, I, I think whether it's Peyton Manning, I understand he doesn't play anymore or Eli Manning or, you know, you name the superstar. Yes. If if you if Aaron Rodgers gets caught with 10 pounds of cocaine, you know, in in his car. Passed out with a gun and he resists arrest. Yes, I, I think I think that the Packers would be wise to um would be wise to cut ties with him. But again, I don't think Aaron Rodgers would do that sort of thing. And you know what? I I think there's a lot of football players or baseball players or basketball players. See, I I understand that there's some people who say, we were in this conversation, I forget who I was talking to about this, with with Tiger Woods. And and I I think Tiger Woods' return has been good for the game of golf. And it's good for TV ratings and all that type of stuff. I'm not a Tiger Woods fan. I, I look at the stuff he did, and I find it to be objectionable. I mean he doesn't he doesn't have to apologize. I, I get that. But I mean I, I thought, you know, the stuff he did was really, really, really sleazy. And so I, I find it you know, it, it's not a question of forgiving. It's just I, I just I'm not a fan of somebody who is what I consider to be sort of a low character person. Other people can be huge fans, that that's okay. And and, and that's that's great. You know, but um, Tiger Woods was another one I think surprised a lot of us because he had this image that he created. This is the all-American kid or whatever. And then it turns out the real Tiger Woods is dramatically different than that. Now, that Tiger Woods case, it wasn't, you know, a criminal situation. Here it was. But I think the Eagles deserve credit for what I would say is doing the right thing. I wanted to um, I wanted to, to devote, you know, one segment on today to, to Barbara Bush, um, because maybe maybe you had a chance to hear her speak or, or meet her. I think over the years, I was trying to count up. I think I had a chance to be at events that she was at. Um, I, I want to say I can definitely remember three, maybe four times. And I remember hearing her speak on, on a couple different occasions. I bring this up because if you haven't heard about it... Um, Barbara Bush is in at the age of ninety two is in very ill very very poor health and the story is that um, she's made the decision not to seek additional medical treatment after a series of recent hospitalizations and so now the family is focused on. On what they call comfort care, just trying to make her comfortable. But I think sometimes when you have people who you know get to a certain point in life and get very very sick, they just kind of come out and they make the point of saying, um, "No, you know, enough is enough. Um, here, we just we don't want any more medical treatments, no more hospitalizations, no more surgeries, no more chemotherapy, whatever." You know, you, you you have people that reach that point, and in in her case, um, she's dealt with a number of very serious health ailments, and apparently now it's just comfort care. And you know, she's joined by her family members, and I, you know, beyond that, there, there's no sort of prognosis. But I, I remember, like I say, on those occasions that I had a chance to either hear her speak or, you know, meet her in in the context of like a meet and greet, where you, I, I just. Seeing Barbara Bush in public, I was just always struck by what an incredibly classy lady she was. And, and I always thought, you know, given, you know it, it's one thing for the politician, whether the politician is a male or female. You kind of choose that life, but, but it's in some respects, it's for the family members, whether it's the, the spouse or, or the kids. You know it's you know you're thrust into this spotlight you know and some people embrace it other people kind of shy away from it it's not the thing that they necessarily ask for but you know you had Barbara Bush who um, she was of course you know her, her husband was a vice president then served a four-year term ended up losing to Bill Clinton in what was a brutal election battle at the time and then you, you go on and your son becomes president for eight years And, of course, you know, if people remember back to the the Bush presidency, you know, you had, I I mean, you know, you you really saw a polarization of this country where you had people that very much supported the president, and then you had, you know, the left, you know, we, we had the term Bush derangement syndrome, people just totally unhinged, and, of course, that had to... That had to have some fallout with your family. And I'm thinking, man, what about your mom? I mean, the the things that you say about, you know, your son, how does your mom react to that and and all these different things? And I always thought Barbara Bush handled all these different situations with with just an incredible amount of class and an incredible amount of, of grace, that was the impression I had when I would see her on television and things of the like and different interviews. And it was certainly the impression I had on the handful of opportunities that, that I had to either hear her speak in person or, you know, just shake her hand at one of these meet and greet events. Our number 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Um, I don't mean to be morbid here. She is not dead yet, Um, even though I guess some people, like, ran an obit or something, an obituary whatever. But it does sound like she's in failing health. I thought she was an incredible, is an incredibly classy lady um, who, you know, went through some very, very difficult times in a very, very public role and, and came out with her head held high and i just had a lot of respect for her i don't know if anybody else ever heard her speak in public or had a chance to meet her but um 414-799-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line if you did your reaction to uh your reaction to mrs bush we're back to talk in just a minute it's 152 this is jeff wagner wtmj one fifty five Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The other big news that happened while I was gone was uh Paul Ryan's decision to retire at the end of his term. Now this is something that had been, you know, rumored for a while, although I, I don't think that there really had been any decision made from what I understand until you know, shortly before Paul ended up making the decision. I can remember I can remember going to a fundraiser for, for Paul Ryan back when he, he first ran for Congress. It was this little place in, in Lake Geneva. And you could tell from the beginning that, that Paul Ryan was going to be a star. He was one of these guys who um, is clearly the smartest guy in the room, but he doesn't necessarily convey the image that he's the smartest guy in the room, which actually is a, a very, very good trait. But you could tell that he was going to be a rising star. And it's been really, really fun to watch His his growth from, you know, the representative, you know, to really, I mean, taking control of that district. And he could have stayed in Congress for as long as he wanted and and watching just how Ryan exploded. The chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee and then the vice presidential candidate and ultimately the the speaker of the House. So I know everybody's trying to say, okay what's you know, what's the legacy of Paul Ryan going to be? And I actually think it's going to be, you know, an extremely positive one um did did ryan accomplish everything he wanted to well the answer is is no but it just shows you how difficult that is to do in Washington. I mean, I think his big regret is probably going to be his, his inability to really get meaningful entitlement reform through both houses of Congress and then signed into law by a president. And, you know, it's just I, I don't think it's fair to judge Paul Ryan and say, well, you know, he didn't get that done. So his legacy is going to be a, a failure. I, I understand people on the left and on the right have been criticizing him. Oh, he doesn't support Donald Trump enough. Oh, no, he wasn't critical enough about Trump. Well, I mean, Paul Ryan marches to his own drumbeat. And, you know, Paul Ryan is the Speaker of the House of Representatives. He's also the leader of the Republicans in the House of Representatives. And I I have no doubt that there were times when he, he'd probably turn on the radio news or turn on the TV news or look at the headlines in the paper and see, you know, President Trump tweeted, what, at 5 o'clock in the morning? And just, you know, shake his head. Okay, I, I get it. I understand there were some people, including some Republicans, who wanted him to come out and blast the president. Well, that would have made no sense to me because he's got to still work with the president to get some stuff done. And I I think, to the end, Paul Ryan behaved in a responsible Adult and in a responsible adult fashion. Now, people are speculating, you know, why is it that you think he left? You think he's frustrated? Well, I'm sure there is a degree of frustration, but at the same time, sometimes, you know, all there is to see is all there is to see. You know, uh, Paul Ryan has three teenage kids and he says, "I, I want to spend more time with my family. I will tell you the life of a congressman is not all it is cracked up to be. You're running every two years, so you got to raise money. You're living in Washington generally without your family for three or four days a week. You fly back like on a Thursday night and then you're out at the Kiwanis Club, the Pancake breakfasts, the you know you name it the, the, the firemen's picnics. You are essentially campaigning you know Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then you're back out on a plane flying out to Washington, D.C. again. It's a cool job, I would imagine. Don't get me wrong. But it's also a very, very difficult job. And it's very, very hard on people's families. So, you know, when Ryan says, you know, it's time to spend some time with my kids, I'm going to take him at his word. Okay. when we come back, a lot of stuff. The moratorium on energy shutoffs ends today. Should we energies delay that? We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about Syria and lots lots more. Stick around. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Let's establish some ground rules. That that cell phone that you carry around, if you do not pay the monthly bill that you get from your cell phone provider, you know what's going to happen? They're going to shut off service. Some point in time, you don't pay the bill, they're going to give you a couple warnings. They're going to shut off service. Um, the I don't know. Maybe you've got cable TV. Maybe you've got satellite TV. But whichever you know, if you've got one of these services where you are again paying for this and. You get that monthly bill, and you decide to ignore it. Well, after you ignore it for a couple months, you know what's going to happen? They are going to shut off your cable TV, or they're going to shut off your satellite TV. It's going to stop working, and they're going to turn the efforts over to a probably a collection agency. That car you're driving uh, that you're required to make like the monthly payments on, well, all right, if you don't make your monthly payments, at some point in time, The guy from the repo agency is going to come out in the middle of the night and they're going to take your car away. That's just kind of how it works. If you don't pay for something you use, it's going to be shut off and you're going to lose it. Now, there is a modest exception to that in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, we have an energy shut-off moratorium. And what the law says is that for Companies, utility companies, and it's not just We Energies; it's We Energies around here, but it's you know all the different utility companies that operate in the state. Starting November first through, actually, it, it's today. It's uh, Monday, April sixteenth. It's under the law. It's April fifteenth. Fifteenth was a Sunday, so it becomes Monday. So, starting November first, you cannot have your utilities under the law shut off if you don't make payments so you know you can go november december january february march and half of april without making payments and um they they can't by law shut it off now starting today um you can now start they can start shutting things off and they don't Typically announced. For example, I, I think last year the number was: We Energy said they had four to five thousand customers who had number one not made their payments, and number two hadn't made arrangements to make the payments. Because bottom line is, We energies wants, and any utility company, they, they they want their money, right? That that's what at the end of the day they 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 don't want to shut people off. They're in business to sell gas and to sell electricity, and they want their money. So what they say is that to avoid this moratorium to avoid having your gas or electric shut off what you have to do is you have to contact us and then try to make arrangements for you know a payment plan now here is what happens and and this is just the reality and some people don't like to hear it there are some people who legitimately can't afford to make their utility payments And they fall behind. There are other people for whom it is not necessarily a priority. Whereas if you don't pay your cell phone bill and you don't pay your cable bill and you don't make your monthly car payment, your phone's going to be shut off. Your cable's going to be shut off. Your car is going to be repoed. All right. But so you have a priority. Let's say you've got a limited amount of money, or you've got to make some of these tough decisions. Well, all right, you pay your phone bill, or else the phone is shut off. You pay the cable bill, or else the cable's gone. You can not pay We Energies, and I'm picking on We Energies, but I mean again, it's it's any of the utility companies in the state, and nothing is going to happen to you from November until mid-April. Now, now is where the metal meets the meat. Okay, it's 32 degrees outside. We've got Lord knows how much snow that is on the ground. The forecast is going to be for continuing cold weather. It's not going to be 10 degrees below. But you will have thousands of people who, for whatever reasons, have made the decision not to pay their bills and not to make arrangements to get on a a payment plan. And in many cases, because... They don't pay anything towards their bills. The situation gets worse and worse. For example, you know, let's say, let's say that um, your your energy bill is two hundred bucks for for the sake of argument, or uh, let's say hundred bucks. Hundred bucks. All right. Well, if you pay fifty bucks of that in November and December and January and February. You're not as far behind as if you just completely blow it off. And so what happens is a lot of people just completely blow it off. And so let's say their bill is $100 a month, well, November, December, January, February, March. Okay, so now they're $500 in the hole, which makes it more difficult to work out a payment plan than if they were, say, had paid anything towards the utility. So there are people who, like I say, I believe game the system. We Energies and the other utility companies will not shut off your energy as long as you sign up for a payment plan. But you've got to make an effort to do it. Otherwise, yes, your electricity will be shut off. Yes, your heat will be shut off. All right, it's 32 degrees outside. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Should there be an extended moratorium? Should We Energies be required to continue to carry people who are, number one, not paying what they owe, and number two, not making any efforts to reach out and pay what they owe. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you think people should be cut off, are you... I don't know, this heartless conservative who doesn't appreciate that people are really struggling. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss when we come back. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 2.15. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 2.17, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, today's the day that the, the legal moratorium on shutting off... Energy, um, gas, and electric utilities for people who don't pay it—it it, it goes into effect November first. It ends April fifteenth. So, starting today, utilities can shut off the services for people who haven't number one paid or haven't contacted them and made arrangements to pay, gone on a payment plan. I, I, I you know, feel free to disagree with me, but. We have to have this. Look, I understand that there are people who legitimately have problems making their payments, and for them... Right there's energy assistance and there's things like that that are available but at some point in time you know th- this is a big deal because we energies has to pass the cost on to everybody else this is a burden that everybody ends up sharing and candidly I think what happens is there is a percentage and I don't know whether it's 25 or 50 or 75% or 90% of people who fall into this who just take advantage of the program, knowing that their utilities aren't going to be shut off. So we'll pay the cable bill. We'll pay the cell phone bill because we're going to lose that. At some point in time, you've got to start being responsible. And all WeEnergy says is, if you don't want us to shut off your stuff, just call us and make arrangements to sign up for some sort of payment plan. Let's figure this out. I don't think that that's an unreasonable thing. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to. uh, Let's start with Mary Jo in Waukesha. Mary Jo, good afternoon.
5: Hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, Hey, I I just mentioned to your screener. If we looked, you and I and everybody that pays their bill on time, if we were to look at that bill, and I found this out not too long ago, and I was I was kind of blown away. Uh, you're getting charged. There's a charge on your monthly bill that goes into this fund that is to cover those folks who don't pay their bill. Sure. And nobody asked me if I wanted to contribute to this fund. It's sure. just taken out right then and there. And um, I mentioned to your screener also, what about those of us who are just on the margin? Thanks. We've got just enough to pay our bill. We pay it, it's going to maybe, you know, hurt sure. a little bit, but we're going to pay it. And somebody else doesn't even have the energy to go down and sign up for some kind of program. I mean, it stinks. I don't, but, I am right, not. Or, right,
0: sorry. or work out a payment plan or something. Yeah, I- exactly. So, so yeah, Mary I'm, Jill-
5: I'm not sorry if their heat or their electricity huh. gets shut off. That's just.
0: Well, well, right because I mean, you know, I mean, you you capture it. Let let's say you're not rolling in the dough, so you have to make some of these choices. And maybe the choice is, you know, I have got to I've got to get rid of the HBO. I've got to get rid right. of the Showtime or whatever. Right. Um and, and so I know it's frustrating to the we energies people and again, the other utilities as well is, you know, a number of people who fall behind during the moratoriums, they don't even make any effort to pay. It's so no, no. so
3: that's just
5: ridiculous to me. Just right. absolutely ridiculous. Right.
0: So what happens is, by the time that that moratorium ends, you know, after five and a half months or whatever, mm-hmm. you, you've, you're just you're so far in the hole that you're never really going to be able to dig out of it. That's mm-hmm. a part of the problem. Now, thanks to call. I mean, see that that's that's why you you have to have, you, you have to I think force people to be responsible and at least you know make that call to say, all right, what's you know this is how much I owe. This is how much I have. Let's see if we can work this out. And again, we energies, and I, I'm using we energies. It's the utility companies. The utility companies they want their money. They don't want to shut people off. That that's the last ditch alternative. But the truth is, they have to do that at some point in time because, as Mary Jo was making the point, the rest of us all all pay for the people who aren't aren't paying. And some of the people l- legitimately can't pay. Some are deadbeats, and a lot of other people, I think, just kind of make that decision that, yeah, maybe we would be able to pay this. But, again, it's not a priority because we know we're not going to lose the gas and electric during the winter months. And as a result, they let the amounts amass, and so now they're looking at five-and-a-half months of payments. And it's like, oh, my God, I'll never be able to dig out um, from this. 414 um, seven nine Let's talk to um – Let's see. Let's go to uh, um, Marie in New Berlin. Marie, you're, I'm sorry, Marie in New Berlin. Marie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Marie.
5: Okay. Here, <laughs> here's what I think, and then I want to bring up something your screener said that never even occurred to me. Um, I I could see extending it one week, but no more, and that's because of the freak weather we're having okay. right now. And and you got, you know, and I'm thinking of the kids. I could care less about the adults, but I'm thinking about the kids. And, but, you know, if it comes down to paying your cable or your electric, and this is what your screener said, and, and I never thought of this, and I bet a lot of other people didn't either, is you're not going to have cable or your computer if you don't have the freaking energy.
0: Well, right. Yeah, well, I mean, right. You're going to have to figure out where to charge your cell phones and things like that. I mean, thanks for the call. Now, look, here's the bottom line. I I am not suggesting that that everybody who finds themselves in this situation is a deadbeat or is gaming the system, although I do believe that there's a percentage of people that are out there. And if you talk to the folks, you know, off the record at the utility company, they'll they'll tell you that. They they see, you know, the the same people sort of every year, and you'll have one family member who will sign up and get the service. And then they don't pay. And then it's somebody else who might be a related family member that tries to get the service. I, I, I have no issue with the moratorium. I, I read I, I think, you know, when we're talking about the winter months, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be shutting off, you know, gas or electric for people who. Um, again, when it's 10 degrees below zero. So yeah, I understand all that. But at some point in time, you've got to try to, I, number one, either pay your bills or, number two, at least make arrangements to pay your bills. And by, by simply allowing people to get away with this, the rest of us are the ones that pay the cost. And, again, one of the frustrations I have about the moratorium is it allows people to just flat out not pay at all which means they've now dug themselves, if they choose that way, they've dug themselves such a huge hole that they say, well, my God, now I owe all this money. I'll never be able to pay it, whereas if they had paid a portion of it during November, December, January, February, and March, the balance would be more workable. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to John in Waukesha. John, good afternoon.
2: Hey, morning, John. How are you?
0: I'm well, thank you. What do you think?
2: I, I think Mary Jo nailed it on the head. Uh, when I graduated college, I lived in uh, lower-income housing. Same thing, where you you had this miscellaneous charge on your utility bill uh, for your farming complex. And you go, "What? what's this for? And the landlord goes, oh, this covers anyone who didn't pay for it. And you go, hmm, <laughs> that's, that's kind of ridiculous. But all right, I, I, I signed a lease. I can't really... Argue about this, but it's not going to affect anyone who lives in an apartment. They're going to go, hmm. They're someone's paying for this bill. It's right. going to affect the people who have a house, right? Because that's on you. On the the right. landlords are still going to pay We Energies. <laughs>
0: Right, yeah, I mean, right, because they're not going to want the pipes to freeze or things like that. So, um, yeah, you are going to have that 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 whole issue that's there now. Thanks to call. I mean, look, th- th- this is a, it's a tough situation, but here is the bottom line for and, and there, my prediction is you will see a couple of these stories on the TV news over the course of the next day or two. Oh, look how, how heartless these utility companies are! You know, they're they're shutting off people's gas and electric. A- and the reality is, like I say, all they want you to do is make a phone call. All they want to do is to say, look, I rec- recognize I owe you this money, and I need to, you know, I-, I want you to work with us, and we'll try to figure out a way to get some of it. Doug in go. Doug, you're on WTMJ.
4: Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Doug. Um, I can tell you that I had to take care of the finances for my father, and my father was a deadbeat. <laughs> a deadbeat, okay? Uh, he His bill, when I got into trying to figure it out, was... Um, better part of a thousand bucks he was behind okay but i found out because i got involved and i start calling we Energies because you're getting these threatening letters right you know you're going to have the stuff disconnected he had a stroke yeah i'm not sure if he's coming back to his place so i don't want the electricity turned off so here i am paying out of my own pocket the electric bill until i find out they said as long as you pay something put forth some effort 20 bucks a month 10 bucks a month 30 bucks a
0: month just right. call them. Yeah. They'll
4: never disconnect you.
0: Right. Because so, right. Right. They, ultimately, they want, they want the dough. I mean, that's it. They want to try to work with you to get that. So,
4: Well, it's beyond that. If you're $1,000 in arrears, you're proving that you're consistently, it's going to get worse and worse right. and worse. But as long as you're putting forth some effort, right? they wouldn't disconnect you. So I have no sympathy for anybody who gets disconnected. Because you got to tell me you can't come up with 10 or 20 bucks a month. Right.
0: And in generally it's people right, dog, yeah, thanks for calling. And it's people who just haven't made that that phone call. And that's our comment for the day. My father's a deadbeat. <laughs> it's just, I, well I, and, and look I, I, and again, there, there's people that find themselves in all sorts of categories for this. I don't have a problem with the moratorium, but I also don't have a problem with the moratorium ending because at some point in time, there, there has to be some consequence for you know people who run up debts that they then expect the rest of us to pay for, because that's exactly what happens. Ultimately, that gets passed on to the rest of the ratepayers. It's 228. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Thirty-six. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Um, just a quick bit of local political news: with with Paul Ryan announcing last week that he is not going to seek reelection, um, it it's it's opened up the field. And this is, I mean, Ryan's had that seat for a couple decades now, and no no serious Republican was ever going to challenge him and be successful. But now that he said, you know, he's not running. Now, all of a sudden, you have um, a number of people whose names are being mentioned who would run. It is a Repub- I understand that this is a year where people are predicting a Democratic wave, etc., etc. et cetera. But it is still – that district that Paul Ryan represented is about a, a 54-46 Republican-leaning district. So Republicans start with an advantage. The candidate that the Democrats so far, the, the leading candidate, this Randy Bryce, is just – I mean, a piece of work with a capital W. Um, so I, not a particularly strong candidate. So this is a seat that the Republicans should hold. But you've you got to have somebody. And so the speculation now, it's, it's who's going to run. Robin Voss, who is the Speaker of the State Assembly, he lives in that area. He, he said he's not going to run. One of the names that was being thrown around is Samantha Kirkman, who is the state representative um, um, again, from that area, think Bristol and Paddock Lake and Pleasant Prairie, um, a city of Kenosha, part of it as well. She was one of the names that was being thrown around. She has just announced today that she's going to be seeking re-election to her Assembly District seat. She's not going to be running for Congress. So um, it, it's really you know, kind of up in the air. There's a couple of names that are being thrown around. There's really a relatively short window because – the the challenger to Ryan that this Randy Bryce has been running for a long time, he's amassed a bunch of money because he, even though he's, in my opinion, a crummy, crummy candidate, he was going to be the guy that was going to challenge Paul Ryan. So you had a lot of um, Hollywood money in particular flowing into you know his campaign because even though he was going to lose, it was going to be an example of here. We, we can you know, we, we're going to we're going to try to occupy Paul Ryan and we're going to make this a national case um, now that Ryan has dropped out, you do have this challenger who, like I say, is a piece of work with a capital W. But he's got a lot of money, so whoever starts as the Republican candidate is going to have to start from essentially, you know, ground zero and and get busy. My guess is you'll have a couple of good candidates that come out. But um, the news is Samantha Kirkman, who would have I think been a strong candidate, she says she's just going to stay in the state assembly. Robin Voss ends up saying the same thing; he's going to stay in the state assembly. I would expect that you will see within the next week um, one or more candidates uh, announce it's already mid-April, even though there's snow on the ground. The primary is in August, and that's, I mean, April to May, May to June, June to July, July or August. You're talking about really four months to um, raise money and, and to run. It's a very, very short Window of time. And so it'll be interesting to see who comes out. I would imagine you're going to have announced candidates soon. All right. Um, over the weekend, people, I, I know you had all the weather situation that was going on, and that is something that affects all of us. It's a communal experience. On top of the weather, you had the James Comey interview. And if you weren't listening at the very start of the show, to me, this says all you need to say about America in 2018. Last night, the James Comey interview with George Stephanopoulos drew about 9.7 million viewers. That's that's a good number. That's a solid number. But it didn't win the night. The, the music awards won the night. To give you an idea, when the Roseanne show came back a couple weeks ago, Roseanne drew 16 million. So, you know, James Comey saying whatever he was saying about the president of the United States, that, that drew 9 million Almost half of what Roseanne drew. But but here's the real interesting thing. Two weeks ago, you had the pornographic film actress, Stephanie Clifford, also known as um, Stormy Daniels. She does the interview with 60 Minutes. That draws almost 23 million viewers. James Comey, the former head of the FBI, draws 9.7 million. It's just okay. So to hear this woman talk, it just... If people don't think sex sells, all right, that's it. A porno film actress talking about a one-night stand with the then, now president of the United States, twelve years ago, that draws twenty-two plus million. The FBI former FBI director talking about contacts with the president over the last year or so, that that draws nine point seven million. Yeah, <laughs> just. All right, that's where we are in America in 2018. But anyhow, between all that stuff going on, the weather all across the country, and the James Comey interview, it's easy to forget that something else happened last week as well, namely that, that we started lobbing um, on Friday a whole bunch of missiles back into Syria. Warplanes and ships from the United States, Britain, and France lo- launched more than 100 missiles at three chemical weapons storage and research facilities uh, near Damascus. Okay, um, so the what prompted this is you've got Syrian, the Syrian President Assad, who is, in many respects, a monster. He is involved in a brutal civil war with various other factions, and there's incontrovertible evidence that he has used chemical weapons – Um, on multiple occasions against some of the rebels the problem of course with Assad is number one he's backed by Russia and Iran so that creates I mean they prop him up and that creates an issue secondly the country Syria is a mess it's just a mess with warring factions and if Assad Were to somehow be taken out of power, the question becomes, you know, who replaces him? But nevertheless, you know, you have this guy who is using, uh, again, chemical weapons against civilian population and rebel strongholds and things of the like. So anyhow, um, joint operation, France apparently is what really was pushing for it. France, Britain, and the United States, 100 missiles. They take out a couple chemical weapons facilities. The president takes to Twitter on Saturday and says, a perfectly executed strike last night. Thank you to France and the United Kingdom for their wisdom and the power of their fine military. Could not have had a better result. Mission accomplished and, of course, Roadkill, who's producing the show today, that phrase, mission accomplished, is one that uh, typically presidents avoid. um, Ever since President Bush said mission accomplished, and some people interpreted that to mean, hey, this is the end of the war in Iraq, when it really wasn't the end of the war in Iraq. Okay, so now you've got a couple chemical weapons facilities that may or may not have been put out of business. Assad is still in power. Russia is saber-rattling, saying, hey, you you know, if you keep doing this, this would be to the West, you know, there are going to be repercussions. Theoretically, you know, this could expand a, a war, and Assad is still in power, and apparently there are still chemical weapons that are at his disposal. So here is the issue. What do we do now? I mean, do we now say it's mission accomplished, we're done? Do we consider ground troops in Syria? Where does the United States go from here? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line. And I guess the related question is, was it a mistake to send these missiles into Syria and take out a chemical weapons plant in the first place? Was that an error? And instead of mission accomplished, should this have been, okay, We shouldn't have done it in the first place because we've risked inflaming tensions. What do you do with the problem of Syria? I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss next. 414-799-1620, that's the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. What is the president to do next? We discuss. It's 245. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Bucks are back in the playoffs, and the road to the finals goes through WTMJ. Hear each and every playoff game live with the flagship home of the Bucks for the full broadcast schedule. Text the word Bucks to the AccuNet Mortgage talk and text line, 414 799 1620. Too bad that they couldn't steal that game in Boston yesterday. It was kind of there for the taking and. Um, that's the nature of the games all right over the weekend you might have missed it we started lopping missiles in into syria with the idea of trying to take out a, a chemical weapons plant all right so so what do you end up doing here first of all i think the u.s needs to be extremely careful in terms of escalating this conflict in part because, as bad as Assad, the president of Syria, is right now, he's being propped up by by Russia, and propped up by Iran, and I, I don't know that this is the place in the world, and this is the issue that we want to prompt. You know, a, a start off of World War Three. That's number one. Number two, the the problem is. That there is no reasonable alternative right now to Assad. Like I say, you've got a civil war that, that is going on. So somehow, if the government, if the U.S. succeeds in taking out Assad, the question becomes: All right, what what happens? Next, you know, who, who moves in to fill this void? And if Assad's gone, I think, you know, it's six, five, pick them, whether or not, you know, whoever takes over next is more inclined to just turn it into a cesspool, a bigger cesspool of terrorism. It, it's just it, it's a mess. And I think you need to go carefully. I think the response over the weekend was measured and it was appropriate. All right, that's fine. You attack the chemical weapons facility. I think the president was sort of ill-advised to come out with the mission accomplished thing because the question becomes, what is the mission? Is the mission to destroy Assad's ability to manufacture chemical weapons? All right, well, did we did we really achieve it by taking out this particular facility? Or is the mission um, hopefully setting Syria on the path towards a more democratic government, in which case th- this didn't really advance that particular cause? Bottom line is, I don't think there's anything wrong with, on occasion, using something like the missile strikes to try to say that, all right, we 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 are still invested in this area. And when you do barbaric things against rebels, you know, we're going to intervene. But the idea of ground troops, the idea of escalating this conflict, I, I think... I think that mission is something that you need to be very careful of, and, and I hope the President goes treads lightly in this regard. My understanding is that it was France of all places that pushed for this missile strike. The missile strike, I think is great, but at the same time, I think you need to be careful about doing it again and again and again and I just wonder if you 're going to if you 're going to provoke a conflict with Russia, is Syria the place that you want to do it and my answer would be. Absolutely not okay before the, the program ends I did I, I did just want to make a mention of a of a passing um, in, in the news one of um, the most I think one of the better movies, not the best, but one of the better movies about the the Vietnam War was by you know fame director Stanley Kubrick. It was the movie Full Metal Jacket. I, I think particularly the first half of the movie, um, which focused on recruit training at Parris Island in South Carolina, was just absolutely tremendous. It was just it, – it was, it was great. And if, you, if you've seen it, you know what I mean. If you haven't seen it, I, I won't give it away. But the first half – really really interesting and and the person that made that was really i think made it great was the the character who played the drill instructor he was an actor his name was R Lee Ermey E R M E Y um he had done a couple bit parts before that but he was in real life he had been he had been a, a drill instructor all right so he was he brought a lot of the stuff apparently what had happened is they had hired him for the movie And he was going to be training, like, whatever actor they hired to be the drill instructor. And then they said he was so good at this that they, you know, they they hired him. And it was just an incredible, I think it was one of these indelible movie roles now, um, Arlie Ermy went on to do a, a number of other things, and you saw him on some of the cable channels with military stuff. He was, like I say, a career militarist, uh, a career military guy who went on to do acting. Um, but but his performance in Full Metal Jacket is one of the. It's one of the best roles that, that I have ever seen. And, again, I think he was great. He inhabited that whole drill instructor role. In any event, um, he passed away over the weekend at the age of 74, complications of pneumonia. Um, I, I always I always thought he was underused. I, I think he just kind of got typecast. He was just so powerful and so good in Full Metal Jacket that I think a lot of producers just couldn't see him doing other things, although he did have a couple roles in other movies. But um, people who know him said that he was just an, an absolutely tremendous guy. He enlisted in the Marine Corps at the age of 17, spent 14 months in Vietnam, um, and, and again, also, you know, served as a drill instructor. Just if you want to see a great movie performance and uh, see a great American, um, watch, watch Full Metal Jacket. Um, Arlie Ermy passed away at the age of 74 over the weekend. Um, sail away. It is 2.55. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around. 257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, John, I'm, I'm I'm in Las Vegas. Yes. And we're with this other couple. One guy's never bet on horses before. So he says, Here, let, let me, what horse do you like? Let me place a bet. So we bet $15. On, I said, I, I like the six horses race. We bet 15 So he bets $15 on six across the board. A win, place, and show. Yep, yep. So, I'm, I mean, I've, I've given the man, this is the only bet he's ever made on horse racing in his life. Well, he's right th- with the right guy, yeah. No that horse it's still running i mean it's just it, it, it ran it ran dead last so my my, my friend's name is john. john i'm sorry you know like, you've told me that before i've asked <laughs> you for advice on, on horse racing like <laughs> right. for the derby or whatever and right. you say just i love I, it but I, don't ask me 15 i mean it's just like i'm sorry that horse it's just running dead last you say well maybe it's going to run fast no it's dead last oh, it's still running nice That's try right. <laughs> yeah, it, just, it just crushes me oh, what do you got on the show <laughs> we're
3: gonna do a lot of james comey so james comey with the big interview yesterday now he's making the rounds he's gonna to be on the view along with all the actual news shows so we're going to talk james comey and play large chunks of what the former director of the fbi actually had to say as we head through the afternoon on today's show and the wisconsin wage outlook wages are going to be higher on average than they have been or go up more i should say than they have in 17 years in wisconsin according to a new survey who will benefit we'll talk through that at 4:20. the news of the day straight ahead